Well, Christmas season is upon us, and one thing I love about Christmas is all the different Christmas songs. Um, some of them, such as Joy to the World, uh, O Holy Night, and there are other ones too. I didn't like this song particularly, uh, The Little Drummer Boy, uh, but I think it actually is quite a, a nice song because it has a call to worship, come, a newborn king to see what the reason is for calling us, and also an exhortation, our finest gifts we bring to the king. Um, well, today's passage is not quite the Advent passage. It's um, actually more of a Passover passage leading up to Passover. But I think it will illuminate uh, the reason why Jesus had to come, who he is and why Jesus had to come in the first place. Jesus reveals throughout all the Gospels and throughout the Old Testament by the word, why he had to come, why he had to be born. So just a little bit of setup before I get into the text proper. Uh, the Gospel of John throughout Jesus will be revealing by his word and his deed that he indeed is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He is the anointed one of Israel, the anointed king of Israel. Indeed, he is the son of God. And that's why in the Gospel of John, it begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And this is how John begins. Right off the bat, John is telling us that Jesus, the Word, is God Himself. Yahweh, the Lord, and he goes on to say in the same chapter, John 1, that the Lord became flesh. He was born and he dwelt among us. But strangely enough, some, even though they heard his words and saw his deeds, still did not believe him. He came to his own, still chapter 1, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus revealing who he is again and again, yet his own people did not receive him. A prime example is Jesus, after he heals a man on the Sabbath, the Jews were seeking to kill him. Jesus says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Whenever you hear in John the words, my hour, or the hour, it's signifying Jesus' death. This is the reason why he had to come. He had to come into the world, became flesh, being born in order to die. And he wants those who, heard, who is hearing his words to truly hear and perceive. Those who see his Miracles, his sign acts, to see who he really is. He wants them to know so much that he actually tells us again and again 
let me just read a few of the uh, quotes from John, quoting Jesus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Elsewhere, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. Elsewhere, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Elsewhere, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And the all too familiar passage that we cherish. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Even though Jesus is saying again and again, and he's revealing who he is, some of the Jews are so frustrated that they're demanding an answer. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Well, this is what Jesus says in response. He says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And at this, the Jews' frustration turn into rage. And they start picking up stones to stone Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is claiming to be Yahweh himself. Even though he's revealing by his words, by his deeds, who he is, they turn to him in anger. And particularly in this uh, text that we're going to look at, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's a miracle, a physical sign and act that plainly reveals that he is the Lord who has authority over life. He gives life to whom he will. And this is why he says, the son gives life just as the father raises the dead and gives them life. Jesus is the Lord himself, dwelling among his people or tabernacling among his people in the flesh. And Martha and Mary, they've most likely seen Jesus. Um, most likely. They've seen Jesus heal. So they say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary and Martha, they believe that Jesus was able to heal, but they didn't yet believe that Jesus was able to raise the dead at that very moment. Martha believed, indeed, that Jesus would raise the dead on the last day. But she didn't yet know that Jesus now raises the spiritually dead to have eternal life now. So when Jesus orders the stone blocking the entrance to Lazarus' tomb to, to be moved, Martha says, Lord... By this time, there will be an odor, for it has been, he has been dead four days. 
Jesus, however, calls out to Lazarus. He commands him, come out. And Jesus explains that he does this. And when he, when he calls out Lazarus, he does this so that they may believe that you, the Father, sent me, the Son. So, his words and his signs, his miracles, the acts that he does, it truly reveals who he is. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed King of Israel. That scripture again and again prophesied that he will come. He has the power to give life to the dead. So in today's text, strangely, Judas hears the same words too. Judas sees the same thing, just as Mary. They both hear and see what Jesus does, but they come to two totally different beliefs and consequently two totally different actions. Well, why don't we get into the text proper? Uh, John 12, 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, our Lord, stands forever. Now, this is how I want to treat the text. Um, first of all, I want to see Judas's disbelief and Mary's belief the motivations for the disbelief, belief, and our motivations. So their disbelief, belief, the motivations behind it, and our motivations. So first, Judas's disbelief. Why does Judas not believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Why? And how do we know that? Well, Judas, he directly rebukes Mary for her wastefulness. He actually says, and indirectly, he's rebuking Jesus. He says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Well, one denarii is, is about a day's wage, and if we calculate it using today's minimum wage of New York, $15 per hour, it's about $30,000. So practically speaking, I think Judas may have a valid point. It could have been sold and distributed among the people who really need it. Um, if we want more people to come to our gatherings, Jesus, if we want to have more loaves to give out and fish to give out, that's going to cost money. Wouldn't it help your ministry, Jesus, if we had sold the pure nard instead? But the word of God reveals Judas's heart. 
He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he was in charge of the money bag. He had a lot of responsibility. Much will be required of everyone to whom much has been given. He was given a great responsibility of being in charge of the money bag for the entire group. But instead of using it for Jesus' sake, the group's sake, for the sake of the poor, he actually helped himself from it. For his own safekeeping, if you will, he was skimming off the top. And the third reason for his disbelief was Jesus, in his eyes, in Judas's eyes, Jesus was not worth it. He wasn't worth it. So 300 denarii, Jesus probably wasn't going to swallow it whole. He will probably make a modest, just, just ballparking here, modest 5% commission on it. That's about 15 days of work. So working for Jesus right now is not exactly paying top dollar. So he had to make up for it somehow. And this loss feeds, fuels Judas's greed. He has to make up that lost money. It was poured out and, and wasted. He could have sold some of it, or they could have sold it, and he could have taken some of it. And so in order to make up for it, he sells Jesus to the Jewish authorities for a fraction, for a fraction of 300 denarii. So in Judas's eyes, money is greater, and no one can serve two masters. So to recap, Judas doesn't believe, does not believe Jesus is the Christ because he is dishonest, he steals, he's a thief, and he devalues Jesus. Mary, on the other hand, comes to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And the text reveals Mary's act of offering pure nard. It was an honest thing. It was a genuine act. No one commanded her to do this. There was no hidden agenda behind her anointing Jesus. In fact, she could have used the ointment to anoint the dead body of Lazarus just not too long ago. But she kept it for Jesus. Secondly, she believes in Jesus as the Messiah because she freely gives to Jesus. Again, this very costly perfume. Costly because this pure nard had to be extracted from a Nepalese plant. And it says a pound, it's a Roman pound, um, which is about 12 ounces, 330 grams. And to extract that much, it sounds very little, but to extract that much oil from it, it requires a lot of, a large quantity of the plant. And so, hence, this costliness. Notice, she doesn't announce, everyone, look what I'm about to do. Instead, the text says nothing actually. Silently, she comes with no expectation. She simply comes, sits at his feet, and gives freely. And she doesn't give a small portion. Elsewhere in the other Gospels, she breaks the neck of the bottle, so you can't bottle it back up. And she pours out the entire content. And the fragrance fills the house, the entire house. Thirdly, Mary's act is an act of utter worship and devotion. She uses her hair, the text says. And the hair, elsewhere in scripture, says, is a woman's glory. 
She's using her hair not to wipe some part of his body, but the feet, which is probably the dirtiest part of the body at that time because they had open-toe sandals, not like sneakers, and the, toe, the toes are exposed to the elements, grime, dirt, dust. Most likely, they probably washed it before entering the house. They probably washed it, but still, I don't think every nook and cranny was washed properly. So she used her hair. It's probably degrading in that culture. But, but this shows that Mary is singularly devoted to Jesus. She doesn't care what other people think. Only one person's concern, only one person's care counted. Only one person was deserving of that level of devotion, that level of single-mindedness. And every time, almost every time that Mary is mentioned in the Gospels, she's usually at the feet of Jesus. I think it's a cultural idiom. To be at the feet of somebody means that you're a disciple of that person. But literally, she's at the feet of Jesus and she is modeling for us what a true disciple looks like. So to recap, Mary manifests her belief in Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed, by being honest, being, uh, giving freely, and worshiping Jesus for what, what he's worth, for what, who he truly is. Okay, so what is their motivation? This is their disbelief and disbelief. What is their motivation? Why is there such a stark difference? It's a night and day difference, if you ask me. Judas probably hung around Jesus way more often than Mary did, probably heard him speak way more often than Mary did, and actually seen the miracles more times than Mary has. So why is there such a stark difference? How is it that Judas, Jesus' very own disciple, fails to believe even after hearing and seeing all that Jesus' son has done? And the reason here is because Judas, in the text reveals, that he cared about himself. He cared about the self. The reason he was dishonest, the reason he was a thief, is because he was motivated by the self. He follows Jesus, not for Jesus' sake, he follows Jesus for his own sake. The Lord providentially appointed Judas as a treasurer of the group in order to test his faith and find it genuine. Judas was in charge of the money bag, the text tells us, to buy probably staples, food, supplies, to help the poor. And that money probably didn't come from an offering basket after Jesus' sermons. It probably came from financial donations from people like Zacchaeus, wealthy believers. Zacchaeus gave half of his entire bank account. And it's from this money bag that Judas stole. This is how one pastor, Kent Hughes, puts it. It probably begins innocently at first. Judas borrows a little money for some personal expense. Time goes on, and he doesn't pay it back. More time passes, and he begins to use additional funds, not paying it back either. Eventually, he begins to think of the money he has spent on himself as his commission, as remuneration for services. It's not that much money, and nobody really knows or cares, or so he thinks. Over time, it gets easier and easier, and before long, he's nothing more than a common thief without even realizing it. It's a fitting picture for Judas. 
He has nothing to lose. It's a win-win situation for him. Win-win situation. How? Because if Jesus is the true political, militaristic Messiah that everyone is saying that he is, then after they overthrow the Roman yoke and Jesus is established as the king, he will of course have a seat. He have a seat in Jesus' kingdom. But if Jesus is not the Messiah, then he's been squirreling away a few nuts for winter time. Later we see that once Judas realizes that Jesus is not the mainstream media that everyone hoped for, Judas betrays Jesus. This is how one early reformer, Wolfgang Wolfus, Euculus, uh, says, he, he writes about this, he says, it seems that the three evangelists have the same reason for telling the story, to explain what motivated Judas Iscariot to betray the Lord. He had lost the opportunity for gain, which he hoped to obtain from the costly oil, if it had been reserved for the poor and sold. At the instigation of Satan, he was so enraged that immediately after the oil was poured out, having been rebuked by the Lord, he withdrew to the high priest and entered into agreement to betray the Lord. So again, Judas was motivated by himself. He was motivated by his own personal gain, his own personal achievement, what he can get out of it. So he saw the, the loss of the commission and to make up for it, he sold Jesus out. That's his motivation, the self. Mary's motivation, on the other hand, is motivated by the love of Jesus. What do I mean by the love of Jesus? The love that Jesus has for Mary. It's an act of love. Mary's act of anointing has been motivated by Christ's love for her. She knows, to use a, a phrase, she knows the indicative imperative. She knows the be-do. Be and do. You are loved in God. Therefore, you're fueled by that love. Her love has been fueled by Christ's love. We love because he loved us first. And her life has been secured in Christ already. There's nothing else that she needs to secure. It's already been secured. In other words, she's been born from above. Her faith moves from a faith in a miracle worker to a faith in the Messiah, the Son of God, who came down to lay down his own life for the sheep. So Mary, like Martha, can answer the question, do you believe that whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live and shall never die? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She perceives that this can only be accomplished through Jesus. Remember that Lazarus was raised from the dead, so most likely, the text doesn't say, but most likely Lazarus probably shared what the experience was like to be raised from the dead. Is there truly life after death? Is there a heaven and a hell? I'm sure Lazarus shared something of it. The text is silent. But Mary, she believed Jesus at his word. She did not yet have a clear picture like we do, the full picture of revelation of the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Christ, but she perceived that Jesus will freely lay down his life for hers. 
and perhaps unwittingly, possibly consciously, to prepare for Jesus' burial, death and burial, Mary anoints the feet of Jesus. And Jesus even says in our text that he that she did this in preparation for his burial. After all, it was the Passover week. It's the Passover week when the perfect and spotless lamb was to be seen by all and then sacrificed for the people once for all. And this is what the Lord has done in Egypt when saving the Israelites from bondage to Pharaoh, the sprinkling of the blood, the putting of the blood on the doorposts. The disciples missed this. They missed this type, anti-type, or the foreshadowing towards the true lamb. Instead, the disciples were concerned by their own lives. They were concerned with their own lives. So when the Jewish authorities were trying to kill Jesus, Jesus said, let us go to Judea again. When he said that, Thomas sarcastically says, let us go also so that we may die with him. The disciples missed the gravity of the situation. That's the beginning of the Passover week. But Mary perceived. We come to the final part. What is your motivation? What is my motivation? We see the motivation behind Judas. We see the motivation behind Mary. What is your motivation? What is my motivation? Why do we believe in Jesus? I love seeing you all. And this is not a question to um, <laughs> cast doubt, but as an introspection question, introspective question, why do we gather for church? Why do we? Like the disciples, we can become so absorbed in the daily grinds of life, our needs, our responsibilities, the demands, the cares, the worries, that it can be easy to overlook and miss the point of it all. We can know all the right answers theologically, but we can miss the whole point doxologically. Like Judas, are we in it for ourselves? Do we believe in Jesus for what we can gain? Or do we believe so that we may gain something from God to earn the favor of God somehow? And the moment, perhaps, when things aren't going right, what will you do? Will we bail? we sell them out? Like Judas, are we masking our selflessness? Masking it. Our selfish desires, are we masking it with a fake concern for the poor? Do we, do I love myself more than Jesus? I think if we're brutally honest, um, I don't think any of us can say that we love Jesus that, the way that we ought to love Jesus. If we're brutally honest, we're selfish through and through. Uh, no matter how much we try on our own strength, our own efforts, our own wills, we really can't get past ourselves. We're, we're caught in ourselves. Um, but Mary sits at Jesus' feet because she cannot get enough of the words of life. Others might see her wiping, her, wiping his feet with her hair, might look disgraceful, but she doesn't care. She doesn't care what other people think. A year's worth of wage is not enough. Not enough. It's important to understand that her act of anointing Jesus' feet is not a good work because the, the pure nard was expensive. 
Her work isn't good because she somehow humbled herself at Jesus' feet. Her work is good primarily because of who Jesus is. Her work is good because of the person and work of Jesus himself. Her faith is in the one who will willingly take up the cross. Just as he laid it down of his own accord, he will take it up again. Her work is good because of who Jesus is and what he is beginning to accomplish. And this Jesus, not caring about what the world thinks, what the Jewish leaders thought about him, how they mocked him and degraded him, how the Roman soldiers, how they shamed him, and even his disciples at his very hour of need, his own disciples deserted him. Even though all of this, he had Mary in mind. Jesus gave up not a year's worth of wage, but he gave up his entire life. He gave up his life so that he might purchase Mary as his very own. And Mary perceived that her life was not her own, but her life was in Christ. It was hidden in God. He was hit, her life was hidden with Christ in God. And so because she rested in this reality, the indicative, she was able to give freely the imperative. She was able to give, worship, love the Lord as she was created to do. Brothers and sisters, Jesus did this for you as well. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Not only did he have Mary in mind, but he had you in mind. He had you. How do we know that he had us in mind? Well, the Bible tells us in Ephesians, he calls Christians his glorious inheritance. It's not the inheritance of his people, but the people are his inheritance. And just as we are his inheritance, he also is our inheritance. The Lord's portion is his people, and the Lord is our portion. This Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is even now inviting us to sit at the feet of Jesus, to hear the words of life, to see the immeasurability of the love that he has for us. Not just to see it or hear it, but to feel it, to have the love, to know that you have love through and through. Okay, so this exhortation is not an exhortation to give $30,000. Calvin even agrees. He says, Christ does not approve of it as an ordinary service. He rather excuses Mary on the ground for having rendered, her, rendered to him an extraordinary service, extraordinary gift, which ought not to be regarded as a perpetual rule. So it's not an exhortation to give $30,000. But... We have something way more valuable than 30,000. We have eternal life. What is eternal life? In John it says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, as you sent me, Jesus speaking, as you sent me into the world, the reason why you had to be born, as you have sent me, so I have sent them into the world. If you're just learning about Christianity or still trying to figure it out, who this Jesus is, what it's all about, 
Know that he's inviting you. He's inviting you to sit at his feet, to learn from him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. For those of us who believe, for believers, your eternal life, you have it now. You have eternal life now. And one day, it will find its ultimate consummation at the marriage supper of the Lamb. On that day, we won't be at Simon the ex-leper's house. On that day, we will be in our Father's house where there are many rooms. On that day, all his children will be gathered, giving our most possessed, uh, most prized possessions at his feet, casting our crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God. So let me close. The little drummer boy lyrics. I'm a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give our king but I played my drum for him. Uh, with the start of Christmas season, I wanted us to consider the gifts that we have, the gifts that we have in the spirit. You, you may think you don't have a gift, but we all have a gift in the spirit. Um, maybe it's to reach a neighbor or a family member, somebody you lost contact with. Uh, maybe it's to feed the hungry, um, literally or spiritually. Maybe it's to counsel a younger believer, or maybe to reach out to a non-believer. Maybe to rebuild or rekindle a lost relationship or broken relationship. Maybe it's to seek forgiveness from someone or to forgive someone. Maybe it's to just go about our, dili our, our, our daily responsibilities diligently as possible. Or maybe it's to befriend the boss. Or simply, maybe it's to play our drums. Let's pray. Father, you're glorified in the Son. Just as the Son is glorified. And all authority has been given to the Son. And with that authority, Christ has given us new life, eternal life. Oh, Lord, what a blessing it is. Would you draw us close to you that we may sit at your feet to learn from you, to be with you, to fellowship with you, to enjoy the new life, to glorify you and enjoy you forever. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.